Hi, Vecro here today with Dr. Julian Guillaume. He is an associate professor at the Ohio State University Veterinary Medical Center, and I wanted to talk to him today about an article that they had published earlier last year. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Vecro podcast. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk a little bit about that project. So when I first saw this paper, I thought it was so interesting, and it actually changed the way that we implemented some of our policies in our specialty clinic in the Twin Cities. And this was a study that you were the first author on, and it was called Influence of Hang Time and Location on Bacterial Contamination of Intravenous Bags in the Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Setting. And this was published in the Journal of Veterinary Emergency Critical Care last year. And this was a really interesting study because we basically always have open bags while they're sterile hanging throughout the hospital. And sometimes we're using them for injections. Sometimes we're using them for sub-Q fluids. And I was wondering if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about why you guys conducted this study, what was the study design, and what was your initial hypothesis that made you want to conduct this study? Yeah, I mean, I think it was um, a pretty, I would say, classic uh, academically-driven study discussion. So it was just uh, one day I came in on shift at, uh, at Ohio State with one of my colleagues, um, who is also an author on the paper, Dr. Amy Butler. And so we're just chatting about, and we're in the ER and just chatting about things. And at Ohio State, in the ER, we always have um, food bags that are hanging out um, that should be ready to use when a patient comes in in shock and just needs food resuscitation. And so they are just hanging in there, and we're just talking. And I think I asked, you know, how long do we keep those? And, um, and then we had a discussion. and. We couldn't find any literature in terms of the length of time that we should keep those bags out hanging. And so we just decided to do um, a study looking at this. And so that's kind of what started um, the discussion in that study. So in terms of the study design, so we kind of we went back to the research and kind of put a final little bit of um, what was available. And so the only thing that was available is, is um, the CDC guidelines. So um, we went back to the CDC guidelines and kind of looked for how long they recommend to keep those bags um, hanged. And so the CDC guidelines were really strict, but at that time, I think it was only 24 hours, so they would recommend to just, um, after 24 hours, discard those bags. And I, I, I think we were keeping them at that time or two to three days, and we we're wondering, okay, well, what other people do? And so we went to Vin actually, and we went on online, and then we did a search, and kind of we didn't do a survey, but we did a search of um, people discussion about how long they would keep those, and some people would get keep them like up to a week, and. Uh, some people will just be a few hours and discarding. Um, something like a lot of people were using them for anesthesia, kind of keeping those bags in the anesthesia and in the operating room and then just switching the bags or tr switching the, um, the, uh, the injection set or infusion set. So that kind of uh, gives us a little bit of idea that we're not the only one um, asking ourselves that question. In terms of um, the study design, we 
have a good understanding that those bags are sterile. And so you get them out of the bag, and they should be sterile. But when you get hurt them, they may be contaminated, and the port may be contaminated. We thought that the only way to actually grow bacteria in those bags was to have a port contamination, and then with a needle to kind of drag when we're putting the uh, the needle through the injection port, either just a needle or um, the administration set, we would actually drag bacteria into the solution. So that was kind of one of the premises. And then once that bacteria is into the fluid bag, we that bacteria should grow into the bag because if you introduce the bacteria in the bag and then the bag just dies off after a few hours, uh, that may not be a huge issue. So um, we decided to create a study and to design it. We did a power analysis and we needed 100 bags. Um, so we hung out on 90 bags, which fit with our power analysis. And we put it into various areas into our emergency and current care. So we put, I think, 60 in the um, emergency room. And so there were three, uh, 30 bags that were up over, um, like our a bin, uh, a bin that we would discard, use needles and use syringes. And then there was around 30 bags that were hung into the, um, above a sink. And then we also put 30 bags in our ICU or two separate separate rooms in our higher state. And so we put 30 of them on top of the sink as well, the six that were in the ICU. So obviously we didn't put 30 bags at, um, at, um, at once. So we actually hang the bags for um, three bags at a time in each side, so nine bags total. And we hang those bags for 10 days. And so we had to repeat that experiment nine, uh, 10 times to have the, the or, or 90 bags. And we wanted to replicate a clinical scenario, which would be uh, poking those bags at a regular interval with a needle and a syringe to either inject things on it or remove some of those that fluid. And so we poked those injection ports three times a day for those 10 days. And again, the hypothesis was um, we may drag bacteria into that fluid. And if we do, then how much do we do that? And so our hypothesis on a power analysis um, was a 6% contamination rate after uh, keeping those bags hang for 10 days. And when you look at the human day, data, it's a little bit, there's a lot of conflicting data depending on where you work and how long those bags are going to be hung. If they're going to be hung for just a couple of days, you shouldn't not have any contamination. But if you leave them in an area that may be the most cleanest, then you can have a pretty high rate of port contamination up to 75% of port contamination. And then some of those bacteria onto the pores can be dragged um, into the fluid. So that was kind of the, the thoughts. And so we had, then we had to decide which back to use because um, 
some of the bacteria that can be introduced again can just die off after a few hours or a few days. And so after 10 days, we won't get a bunch of negative culture. And so we don't want that. So we ended up doing an expert, um, a kind of preliminary analysis looking at um, uh, plasmalite. At that time, Ohio State was using plasmalite 148, which is an acetate gluconate uh, balanced electrolyte solution. And so it's commonly used in, um, in, uh, in, um, in the veterinary community, probably on 30% of veterinarian, according to one of my friends' study, uh, are using uh, plasmalite 148, uh, which is the equivalent of normosol R. It's an acetate gluconate balanced electrolyte solution. And so what we found in those is that actually when we introduce bacteria, so we put a, we got some gram-negative uh, bacteria and then some gram-positive bacteria, and we just introduce them into the bag, and we'll see if they grew. And they actually did not grow. So after a few days, those bacteria will just die off. And so we knew that at day 10, when we end the study, um, even if we did have bacteria into that into that bag, they would have been gone. So there's a guy in 1973 that looked at all the type of fluids, um, um, 49% sodium chloride and LRF, and so a Hartman solution. And then that investigator back then showed that actually LRF um, was supporting the bacterial growth of both gram-positive and gram-negative. So we ended up uh, using LRS as our, as our fluid of choice. So um, any questions on, on the, the study design and the reasons why we, we did it? No, it, it's actually really interesting because you, you and I are both criticalists and we get asked all the time, what's the ideal fluid that we should use in our clinic? And in general, you know, when I'm lecturing to people, I say, I don't care what you use, LRS, plasma light, Normar, you know, they're all so similar. Um, they're different than saline, obviously, but I was curious why you guys had looked at LRS um, as a result. And um, does the fact that you noticed bacterial growth in the bags of LRS affect your decision on what type of fluid you would carry or recommend? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, at Ohio State, we do use plasmalite. We moved from 148 to plasmalite A. So it did not change which fluid we are carrying. I think if I was in a practice that we use LRS, that may change my um, the way that you know which fluid I'm going to use. And maybe in that case, I would have switched to plasmalite, uh, plasmalite 148 or most of R. Uh, one of my friends did a study. You know, it's just a survey study to look at. Um, which fluids are being the most used per practitioners, and LRS was the majority, or majority of veterinarians out there seems to um, have LRS, and then um, plasmalite or normosol were number two on 30%. And so um, when I was a resident, I used LRS. When here as a faculty member at Ohio State, we used plasmalite. I feel the same way that you do. I don't think one matters from, from the other in terms of clinical, clinical efficacy. Um, and so it was just interesting that um, LRS seems to be supporting bacterial growth more uh, than another fluid like um, acetate gluconate-based um, solution. So that's why we ended up using LRS. I think it's more relevant to people because 
most uh, practitioners use LRS, and then we also uh, work better for um, for the study design. Interesting. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about your hypothesis on why two different locations in the ER, in sinks versus bins, or you know, um, in the ICU by the sink, why were you seeing increased bacterial cultures from the fluid bags by the sink? Yeah, so we actually um, we're pretty busy for for a university practice. So I didn't want those bags to be to be in the in the way, and so the only areas that I could actually hang them were next to that bin and next to the sink. And so we decided to do um, to kind of look at the area, emergency room versus the ICU, as well as the bin versus the sink. And so to get you an idea about what we found in the study, um, we did found kind of a, a low rate of bacterial contamination into the bag. And so I think we ended up at day, uh, at day seven to have four and a half, uh, 4.4% bacterial uh, contamination of the fluid. And then we also had around 30% um, ports contamination. So those ports were getting contaminated quite a bit. Um, but then um, we actually didn't have any bacterial contamination of the actual fluid on day um, zero. Obviously, that was only against control, as well as day two. We had one fluid contaminate um, into on day four, and then four fluid contaminate on day seven. And so when we did the when we did the statistical analysis looking at bin and and uh, sink, we actually saw that there are a difference between uh, the bin and the sink. And the bacterial contamination, and I'm not going to talk too much about um, fluid contamination because we ended up having only four out of 90 bags that were contaminated. And so the most interesting of the data was regarding the port contamination. And so when we looked at the bins that were in the ER, we only had 16.7 for contamination. But when we looked at the sink, both in the ER and in the ICU, we ended up around uh, 38% contamination. So that was totally unexpected, frankly. Um, I was not expecting to see, to see a difference between ER bin and ER sink. Um, but it sounded like, actually, sorry, the sink and the bin. So I, I looked into this, and it seems that there's a different evidence in human medicine that um, if you're near a sink because of the splash injuries, and um, they, they call it that way, like right? just water splashing around, uh, even if you are cleaning the, the sinks really good, you still have a higher risk of contamination and a higher risk of bacterial growth uh, near the sink. Um, so that was an interesting um, thing that we, we found, again, that we did an expected finding. I thought that was interesting because the biggest policy that we ended up changing is a lot of times we'll hang bags of saline that we use in order to create, you know, hep flushes or just saline flushes. And you're right, they are by the sink or they're in different places of the hospital. And so we ended up changing our policy that all bags needed to be thrown away after two days based off of this study. Um, But definitely very interesting when you looked at the experimental and literature 
that uh, you guys had in the evidence of this study. So based off this study and based off the CDC recommendations, how would you modify the recommendations for, quote, hang time of bags of fluids or even positions or locations within the hospital setting? I think if you look at that study results, um, you probably will have to go with another fluid than LRS. Um, and you probably will want to just keep it for a maximum of 48 hours and avoid that sag being next to a sink. Um, you know, that's what we found in our experiment. That being said, I think one of the things that I would say is um, when we did the experiment, we decided not to swab, to swab the ports and with alcohol because we know that the alcohol will kill the bacteria on the surface of the port. And so, and our goal was to kind of create some non-ideal um, uh, scenario and to maximize the chance of those bacteria being dragged into the, the fluid. So I do believe that if you are using uh, aseptic methods and you are swabbing uh, with alcohol, waiting 30 minutes, you know, 30, sorry, not 30 minutes, 30 seconds, 30 seconds to one minute, letting it dry and then cooking it, I think you probably will reduce tremendously the, the contamination. So we changed our policy on how state for a hang time of maximum of, uh, I think it was 48 hours. It is 48 hours now, although most, most of our bags are being discarded within the first 24 hours. And so um, I think we, we are doing okay with that. Um, the interesting thing as well in the CDC is that the CDC guidelines actually do not recommend any more uh, hang time or maximum hang time. And the 24 hours hang time comes from a huge contamination um, spree that they had in 1971 uh, where a bunch of ports were contaminated on a glass bottle and they resulted in like nine deaths in the, in the U.S. And so that's where the CDC and when the CDC decided that 24-hour hang time. And so everybody has been keeping it. It's standard of care in human medicine, uh, but they are still unsure. So I think 24, 48 hours is probably reasonable in our patient population, especially if you are careful um, at swabbing the ports and then you all make sure you make sure that they're in their store bag, you know, as long as you can and just don't hang them next to next to a sink, I think that would be fair. Great study. It's so interesting that this was never done before in veterinary medicine, so I'm so glad you did that. I did want to ask, a lot of us oftentimes will use what we call community bags of head of starch or vet starch, where we'll you know, drop 60 mils for one patient and use the rest of the bag for another patient. Does this have any implication or does it change your thoughts with multi-use drug vials or even multi-use IV fluid bags? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a good question. Uh, we found that in our in our bin um, kind of uh, search. And so um, I really, frankly, cannot mention anything from the study because the study was not designed um, about this. What I would say, you know, from the study that I, I did and others also I've done, looking at multi-use uh, fluids or, or, or fluid bags, um, Frankly, you probably should not do it, and we should keep um, one fluid for one patient. So that would be um, that's the recommendation that we have 
I think there is a risk of contamination if you keep it in an area that may have splash injury, uh, splash injuries. If you keep it in the area, if you don't swam the port uh, in between um, in between patients, if you inject or poke the injection port multiple times, I think the more you do that, the more risky it is to introduce contaminants. Uh, and then you may have a contaminated fluid bag. If you've got a contaminated fluid bag, then you're going to give it to a patient, and it may create an issue or may not create an issue. But I think principle of precaution, you should probably limit the amount of times you do that for a given patient. And I know that you know economics and the fluids are um, fluid bags are not that pricey, but a lot of people spike them with you know, fentanyl, lidocaine, ketamine solution, or MLK solution, or uh, those type of solutions. Um, colored bags are a bit more expensive as well, so people have a tendency to use it as a community bag. I think they just have to be careful about the risk of, of that contamination. But um, that, would have, that was kind of the next step of the study um, that we could have done. We elected not doing it, but uh, that would have been also an interesting uh, thing to look at. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And really interesting because I think it's so clinically applicable and now we have evidence-based medicine. So what in doubt, I think the big vectoral takeaway is throw away the bags after two days and when in doubt, keep them away from the sink, make sure to use sterile technique and to consider wiping them down with alcohol impregnated wipes before you actually stick a needle into that port. Fantastic information and really appreciate you taking the time to do today's Vet Girl podcast. 